Judges in corporate pockets. Entrenched structural racism. Rubber stamping bad decisions. Legitimizing police lies. The American court system has always been flawed, but never more than now. The judiciary, lawyers, and elected officials have sworn an oath to defend the Constitution, yet they're silent about dark money capturing the courts. We won't be. You're listening to May It Displease the Court. Welcome to May It Displease the Court, a podcast about all the ways that the legal system is screwed up. But you know, it isn't all bad. There's been some good progress. Look at bail reform laws. We talked about the good stuff happening in New York. Unfortunately, the wicked do not rest. I'm sure if the late, great Nina Simone were still with us, she would say, Texas, goddamn. But honestly, this is so much bigger than Texas. It's like Supreme Court, goddamn. But actually, it's bigger than the Supreme Court. It's like Republicans, goddamn. But if you really want to look at the origin story, the truth of the matter, it is dark money, goddamn, because they are winning and they're going to continue to win unless we fight now. But first, Podcasting is often just me alone with my thoughts and research. So please reach out and connect with me on social media. You can follow May It Displease the Court on Facebook, at Court Pod on Twitter for commentary on news and, event- and current events. You can also email Displease the Court and let us know what you think about living in the emerging United States of Gilead. Okay, so back to discussing the tyranny that Texas has brought upon the U.S. by kowtowing to dark money donors and and religious zealots. This is really an unholy alliance that has seemingly unlimited funding, which has been used to capture the Supreme Court and Republican-controlled state legislatures, which have enacted laws that have been written by dark money-funded political operatives, namely ALEC, A-L-E-C. That's an example of a group that was designed to write right-wing laws and to disseminate those laws to Republican state legislators. Now, those legislators then introduce those laws that have been written by ALEC. Those laws often pass unchallenged, especially if Republicans control the state government. This was the plan. It's cheaper and easier to take over state governments. That's how they enact a minority rule over the rest of us, because we've been sleeping for the past 40 years. Now, this is not representative democracy because those Republican legislators, they're not bringing up bills that have been initiated by their constituents. They're not representing their constituents who live in their districts. They are enacting legislative in a legislative agenda driven and literally written by dark money. Charles Koch, he's the spearhead and the organizer, but he certainly isn't the only one. Texas this year has passed 666 new laws. You heard me correct. I mean, is this number symbolic of the devil? It sure seems like it. If you are new to the pod, then I'm going to suggest that you listen to a few episodes that's going to help flesh out some of the points that I'm going to make, and I'm going to reiterate points that I've made before. First and foremost, I would listen to the New Books Network interview that Lee Pierce and I did with the author and Duke professor Nancy McLean. She wrote a groundbreaking work, Democracy in Chains. Go out, buy the book, read it. It has... Uh, a, a, just opened my eyes up to so much of what has been going on for the past 40 years, really my entire life. 
Also, if you want to go back and listen to some episodes of May It Displease the Court, Episode 5, Capture the Courts, Trump and McConnell Judicial Takeover, Episode 7, Courage for Profit, How the Modern Right Weaponized Language, and Episode 10, Coded Communication, Signaling, Auditioning, and Amicus Briefs. Those also touch on issues that are coalescing and culminating in what we are seeing going on in Texas. Frankly, it's the plan for the rest of the country, and this is all at the hands of dark money. And it for the rest of us, it's an all hands on deck moment for democracy and the rights of the majority of America's citizens. This episode is going to look at Texas's six-week abortion ban, which was effectively blessed by the conservative majority of the Supreme Court. Also, Texas's voter suppression law, all of these have been paid for and orchestrated by Koch Network's dark money. It is a deliverable of sorts for the support of the religious zealot voting bloc, which is colloquially known as, well, I think it's a misnomer, the pro-life movement, even though actually, you know, it's a great, that was a great PR move uh, to call them pro-life because none of the political positions that are supported by this voting bloc protect, promote, or even help support life. They block social supports, Medicaid, Medicaid expansion, prescription drug relief. They, they're really just this corporatist arm and they they pull in these people, these single issue voters who believe it's all about the babies. And they have turned their mind off to anything and everything else and given carte blanche to legislators, politicians who just say that they are pro-life and who will overturning Roe has been this blinder that they have put on. And really, maybe if they pulled back that blinder and looked at everything else that they that these politicians have done in the name of pro-life, perhaps these people who claim to be pro-life, they would be horrified. I don't know. Maybe there's hope. I have hope. So we're experiencing the result of around about four decades of a political project that is about smoke and mirrors. The stated goals are not the real goals. However, the architects have been extremely successful at framing the conversation. What's at stake for women and minorities? Participation in government, equality as citizens, the ability to choose their leaders, to have a meaningful voice in the society that we live in. We have an allegedly democratic Congress and presidency. Okay, the Justice Department is filing suit against Texas, but how effective is that Justice Department going to be in a lawsuit, which is going to go up against Trump appointed judges? the Fifth Circuit, which was packed by Trump, any federal society judge, they are certainly political. They were put on the bench because they are political. It is reasonable to speculate whether the Supreme Court itself is bought and paid for. Well, not all of them, at least the conservative majority. So let's talk about Texas and the six-week abortion ban. It's been described as clever. Uh, I'm going to call it diabolical because I'm not going to give it clever. This law was designed, it was crafted to evade judicial review. That was the point. And the Supreme Court was like, okay, yeah, yep, yep, we cannot, we cannot possibly do anything with this law. We can't stop this law. We don't know what it's going to do. You know, come on, ridiculous. So instead of the government enforcing constitutional rights, we have a situation in Texas where private individuals can now sue abortion providers or people who assist abortion after six weeks of pregnancy, which you know they the lawmakers have defined as a fetal heartbeat. Of course, that's 
a misnomer. A a fetus did not have a heart at six weeks. There is no heartbeat at six weeks. Medical and legal experts are referring to this motion of electrical pulses stimulating muscle cells in a tube that's going to eventually become a heart, maybe. But the law is also doing other things, this law, in addition to that. And, and oh, by the way, there's no, there's no exception for rape or incest, which, you know, no law has ever really done that before. So that's, well, not, not successfully. They also have a, a trigger provision, which if the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade, then that trigger portion of law is going to come into effect and it's going to outlaw abortion completely in Texas 30 days after the Supreme Court overturns Roe, which is what they're hoping for. So this law, which was drafted by a former Scalia clerk, a Federalist Society lawyer, his name is Jonathan Mitchell, he came up with this scheme and his point was to evade constitutional protections and the judicial system completely because it offers private parties the opportunity to get $10,000 bounties for a successful lawsuit against anybody who provides abortion care. I mean, he just deputized a dark money funded populace or, you know, operatives to go out and harass anyone who is trying to assist a woman in obtaining an abortion. It also doesn't have any penalties against the woman seeking the abortion, right? So it's like, oh, she, she can get an abortion? Sure. You know, the point of this is to chill anybody who has the, the knowledge to make abortion a safe medical option. This Texas law isn't the only law that's challenging abortion that's before the Supreme Court. Uh, there's also a Mississippi law that was drafted by a member of the state policy network. And this is a group that has received huge funding from Donors Capital Fund, which is basically a dark money ATM of the conservative movement. Uh, it's tied to the Koch family. There's also the Judicial Crisis Network, Koch backed as Americans for prosperity. They spent millions of dollars to confirm Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. And all of these groups are expecting a return on their investment. You know, they have uh, Mitchell in Texas, and he's drafting this legislation, uh, you know, anti-abortion legislation. He also spearheaded anti-union legislation. He was a part of the state policy network. It's the same group of people, all funded by the same dark money donors that are putting this assault on on unions, on women, on on our constitutional freedoms and our ability to have protections under the law. What is it exactly that they're trying to overturn? Just to review very quickly. Roe versus in Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court in a decision that was written by Justice Blackman recognized a privacy interest in abortions. And they applied the right to privacy established in Griswold versus Connecticut, which was about a woman's right to contraception. And the fundamental right that was decided was whether a woman could decide whether or not to terminate her pregnancy. And the values underlying that right included her own autonomy and the physical consequences, her interest in her own bodily integrity. They determined that there was a fundamental right involved and applied a strict scrutiny test, which divided pregnancy into three periods. The first trimester, the decision to terminate a pregnancy is solely at the discretion of the woman or a person who can become pregnant. 
after the first trimester, then the state can regulate the procedure. So during the second trimester, the state could regulate, but it can't outlaw abortions in the interest of the mother's health. After the second trimester, when the fetus becomes viable, the state could regulate or outlaw abortions in the interest of the potential life, except when it was necessary to preserve the life or health of the mother. Later, there was a case, Casey versus Planned Parenthood, challenging the right to abortion again, and the Supreme Court upheld the women's right to abort a pre-viable fetus without any undue interference from the state. But it continued to allow the state to restrict abortion post-viability, and it stated that the legislator does have a legitimate interest in protecting the woman's health and the life of the fetus. So the cases that are currently before the Supreme Court and that are working their way through would strike at a woman's right to pre-viability abortions. They want to get rid of that. That's what they that's what their ultimate goal is, to make abortion illegal again. You know, you may wonder why do I think that Coke is behind this? You know, isn't he a fossil fuel magnet? What does he care? Well, it's really about coalition building because his policies are so unpopular. He has to cobble together enough different groups that will vote for his agenda without really looking at what his agenda is, because even those groups are going to find that unpalatable. It's because his agenda helps him and his little cohort of super, super rich billionaires, and it hurts the rest of us. So who are great voters for him? Pro-life voters, because they're like, I'm only going to vote for pro-life candidate. I don't care whatever else they say. I'm not going to even look at it. I don't care. It's all about murdering babies. That's it. That's all I care about. That's perfect for him and his and his group. Great. We'll just do whatever we want to do and we'll just say that we're going to that we're pro life and you know we'll we'll work towards that. And then you just let us do whatever else we want. And you're actually not even thinking about whatever else we want because you're just focused on this one thing. So the ultra orthodox theocratic faction of voters and they they dig authoritarian governance anyway because you know They allow the church to rule them. They allow husbands and fathers to rule the house. They're super big on controlling women. Great. That's great. We're there. This, this is where their, their values kind of, kind of uh, gel. I mean, when you look at Republicans and their policies, they're not pro-life. They're the ones who cut social programs. They attack public education. They cut food stamp benefits all benefits, really. They want a religious exemptions for birth control. And, you know, you better believe that they're coming for birth control at some point, because that, that just furthers this subjugation of women and people who can become pregnant. So don't think that Griswold is safe either. So when they overturn Roe, you're paying back this religious faction. It also, you know, satisfies this authoritarian overlap of subjugating women. It's, it's like a, you know, it's a win-win for these assholes. And for decades, this network of dark money groups, they've invested tens of millions of dollars in overturning Roe and Casey. Look at the Koch-funded groups like Concerned Women for America, Americans United Life for All, the Judicial Christ Network. All of those groups have drafted anti-abortion legislation for state legislatures. They've funded ad campaigns to support the confirmation of anti-abortion judges and justices. The Judicial Crisis Network spent $10 million Coke-backed Americans for Prosperity launched a seven-figure campaign supporting Barrett's confirmation. 
you know, her slammed confirmation. Soon as as uh, you know, RBG died, bam, they just they just pushed her in because they saw their opportunity and they took it, which is something that the Democrats are completely fucking up right now. So the Texas law uses a very popular Coke trick. It uses private actors to infringe on women's constitutional rights. Now, this isn't new. It's been going on for since at least probably 1900s, this use of private actors to push these fringe, these fringe ideas. Okay. You can see it in the, in the three percenters, in the oath keepers, in these people that are going to school board meetings and raising hell about masks. They are loud. They are, they are demanding. They get a lot of media attention, but that doesn't mean that their loudness doesn't represent the number of people that support their position. But it seems that way. You know, a woman who's seeking abortion, she can't be sued. But a doctor, her friends who try to help her maybe give her some money, an Uber driver, they can be sued. This law empowers controlling and abusive men, horrible neighbors, some crappy relative who hears about your plight. Also, people who know nothing about you, who are just bankrolled by dark money, who are just political operatives. So it's basically this law makes vigilantes out of a collection of the world's worst opportunists. And it gives dark money the legal green light to harass them, to harass anybody trying to help women exercise their constitutional rights. And this is supposedly done outside the actions of the state. Okay, but the state of Texas enacted the law. The law wouldn't exist if the state of Texas hadn't done it, if the state legislators hadn't done it. They are the ones who deputize these people to go out and deprive women of their constitutional rights. It's a complete exercise in legal fiction to pretend that these are just private people who they don't have any relationship to the state. Yes, they do. They're only acting, they're only allowed to act because of the state. Now, we can look to the Supreme Court uh, and the Fifth Circuit to to blame them for this law going into effect. It is clearly, blatantly, flagrantly, to quote Justice Sonia Sotomayor, flagrantly unconstitutional under existing court precedents. The Fifth Circuit, they didn't even, they didn't even hear an argument. They just, they did nothing. They completely ignored it. The Supreme Court got it up under their shadow docket, which we'll discuss in a second, and they let it be enacted. They did not uh, They did not issue an injunction stopping it while the case was litigated at the trial and appellate levels. I just want to go back a little bit because the shadow docket, which we've discussed on the pod previously, is a problem. It's a big problem. It is a tool that is being used by the conservative majority and the, all of their conservative legal project to do terrible, terrible things in violation of constitutional law. And they're doing it as quietly as possible. There were clear legal precedents that they ignored. You know, why on earth would they use a shadow docket to do, uh, to, to enact this highly unpopular legal agenda. Well, you know what? This strategy fits perfectly with the Koch plan of a stealth remaking of a government, our government. It's done in the shadow docket. They do it. They issue decisions in the dead of night when the world is asleep. That reduces the amount of bad press. 
I mean, we know 70% of Americans are pro-choice. So it's super, super, super unpopular. That's what Koch's views are. Koch's views are incredibly unpopular. He can't win by being open and honest. People don't want what he's selling. So he decided decades ago that his plan was to lie and trick and do dirty backroom deals to undermine the will of the majority of Americans and to take away the ability of the majority of Americans to govern themselves. He and his ilk have used the Federalist Society to groom judicial minions who would have the quote-unquote courage, which he redefined as being unaffected by public pressure that would just do the will of the, of the dark money donors, the conservative legal project, with no regard for how the rest of the country feels. The courts, the judges that have lifetime appointments are insulated, perhaps by design, which is, I am hoping not a fatal design flaw, but I'm worried that it is. They are supposed to be apart from public pressure so that they can do what's just and right. Well, Koch figured out that if you put corrupt judges or maybe crazy zealots in, in place, and you think, and everybody thinks that they have true ideals, then you can use that insulation to destroy the social and political fabric and to remake what is legal and to install authoritarian leaders. That's his plan, and we're seeing it be successful. So some might wonder, well, why is this a huge deal outside of Texas? I mean, I live I live in a blue state, things are fine, or they don't have that law in my state, so it's not a big deal. Well, it is a big deal. Number one, it's the United States, and there needs to be a minimum standard guaranteeing all Americans of their constitutional rights that exist in every single state. Texas is home to one in 10 of all women of reproductive age in America. Wow. That is, I did not realize that. One in 10. So one in 10 America, uh, you know, women or people who can, can get pregnant in America cannot exercise their constitutional right to an abortion right now. Also, the plan is to take this show on the road. Republicans, and uh, they are emboldened by the makeup of the Supreme Court. They now have packed courts all throughout the federal uh, circuits, over 230 put in by Trump, and there was already a lot there put in by other, other uh, Republican presidents. They have legislative lackeys that are rushing to enact even more abortion restrictions, over 500 Abortion restrictions have been introduced this year across 47 states. Over 90 of those have already been passed, including 11 bans on abortion. If you're in Texas, now you have to travel a, a, around 250 miles to seek an abortion. That's, that's the average of how far you'll have to travel. You're going to have to pay the cost of traveling out of state, staying in a hotel, transportation, childcare, lost wages. If you have an abusive partner, uh, how are you going to explain where you're going and how long you're going to be there? This law is designed to impact poor women. Rich women have always had the ability to travel to get an abortion. They will always have the ability to travel to get an abortion. So it isn't really about these Republican legislators whose mistresses will certainly have access to go someplace else for their abortions. But the poor women in Texas, they're the ones who are going to pay the price for all of this. Now, these forced birth advocates, they are arguing some really uh, uh, outrageous. I'm going, to, I'm going to settle on outrageous and not swear at this particular moment. They are arguing that 
And this is an argument that they're going to advance. They're advancing in the, in the Mississippi case. They're advancing it in the Texas case. And this is going to be their argument across the board, which is that preventing some pre-viability abortions is not enough to turn a statute from a regulation into a ban. I guess their argument is if anyone, even if one abortion happens, can is still able to happen, then it's not a ban. It doesn't matter if 99.99% of abortions are banned. If any get through, then it's not actually a ban. It's just a regulation. It just happens to regulate virtually all women or maybe all women. You know, if maybe a theoretical, probably for them, a theoretical abortion would be enough. These forced birth advocates are also arguing that the the Department of Justice can't intervene and challenge the, the statute, which they would come in under the Commerce Clause, because the Texas law actually promotes uh, interstate travel because people are going to have to use the roads and airspace and they're going to have to travel to other states. So that is going to increase commerce for, you know, the the, uh, you know, boom of abortion tourism that this this type of a law is going to foster. You know, of course, that presumes that women have the ability to travel that is completely negating the huge number of women who would not have the ability to do that. I got to say, there's not a single man that I've ever met, not a family member, not a friend, not a teacher, certainly not some rapey Republican politician who I would trust to make any decision about me, my body, my health, nobody, not my partner. They don't get to make a decision about me. That is incredible to me. I, that is outrageous. That is enraging to, to think that's, that someone would think that they have that right. Women and people who can become pregnant deserve to be treated equally under the law, to have the right to engage in certain conduct like having sex and choosing to have a baby or not choosing by virtue of our equal citizenship. And for this reason, laws passed going forward must, I think, ground the right in the Equal Protection Clause as well as in the Due Process Clause, because people, women, people who can become pregnant, we have a right to engage in 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 conduct just because we are entitled to equal citizenship. And it should be it should be framed and discussed that way. All right, moving on to another right that all citizens must have that Texas does not value, which is the right to vote. So Texas has also enacted some extreme voter suppression and restrictions, which is, of course, the key to permanently installing an autocratic Christian nationalist minority. And, you know, I should put in capitalist in there because that, you know, it's really all about the money in the end. The the Christian nationalist stuff is just to get enough votes so that they can install the minority that's going to give all the money to the people that want all the money. So this law, which Democrats tried to stop, and they were able to stop some of the worst, some of the worst provisions, but still the, it is the most restrictive uh, law in the country. It creates a slew of new criminal penalties and requirements for people who assist voters at the polls, people who assist in others to plan to vote by mail. It bans drive-through voting and extended voting hours, um, which they baselessly claimed opened the door to voter fraud. Of course, these provisions actually helped voters of color and shift workers because they benefited the most from these methods of voting last year. And of course, we got to get rid of that because what those people typically vote Democrat. It was a calculated attack 
on voters of color in particular. The law also expands what partisan poll watchers can observe during elections and it grants them new protections. There is absolutely no provision to increase funds on election security. So they're not even trying to make elections more secure, which they need to do. That's not in there. The, the law does have a new identification requirements for people voting by mail, and it prohibits local uh, election officials from sending vote by mail applications to anyone who hasn't requested one. You know, and that's that's the game plan here. The game plan is to prevent voting. They want to prevent voting all across the country. That's the big thing. Congress must pass laws protecting the right to vote. If they don't do that, I don't really know where we're going in 2022 and 2024. I think it's just kind of a slow moving destruction. Like at that point, at that point, it just hasn't all of it. They, it, they've already won. It just hasn't fully been realized yet. So this is it. This, I mean, maybe I'm being overly pessimistic, but if we can't vote, if we don't have the power to vote in the people that we want peacefully, we're in real trouble. All right, there's some other bullshit laws that Texas passed to advance the Coke, the Coke agenda and to protect and make America hospitable only for the ultra-wealthy and also these, uh, these crazy voters. They banned vaccine passports. Now, if you're 21 and over, you get to carry a gun without license or training. Yeah, so just, you know, any, any schmo, any moron, who's over 21 can just walk around with a gun. They don't need training. They don't need a license because that's because we don't have a gun problem in this country. We don't have, you know, mass shooting problems. You know what we do have, according to them, we have a problem with social studies. So they passed a law limiting teachers from discussing current events and systemic racism in class. Students can't can't be taught the 1619 project, which is I encourage you to look up the 1619 Project if you haven't. It is really informative, and there's nothing about learning about our history and what has happened to Africans that were brought here against their will and have helped build this country that shouldn't be taught. We need to know what happened and what has continued to be perpetuated. Ugh, this is, it's just so frustrating because it isn't really... It's just a race card that they're playing. That's it. They also passed a law shielding companies from crash liabilities. So this is, you know, a very pro Uber and Lyft. So Uber, Lyft, delivery trucks, they, in order for you to bring a suit against the company, you have to, the driver has to have been found liable in court for causing the crash, resulting in the injury or death before any cases can be brought against the employers. So that like doubles the amount of, work that plaintiffs have to do in order to recover. They punish cities who cut police budgets. They criminalize homeless camping. Churches can't be closed during a disaster. Who cares if it's a pandemic and they're infecting everybody else? Can't close them. The national anthem, it's got to be played at all professional sports events in Texas. And, you know, we all know what happened in the winter when the power grid failed and people died and froze in their homes and this this grid hadn't been winterized. Instead of dealing with that, Texas passed a bill that changed the structure of the board of the nonprofit that operates the grid so that politicians can appoint the majority of members. Seriously? I mean, obviously the nonprofit wasn't working very well before 
And now they said, okay, well, political appointees can just be put in there. I'm sure that's going to result in a robust grid that isn't lining the pockets of anybody. All right, well, enough of that depressing things. What can be done? Well, I think we need to pay attention to what's going on at the Supreme Court. In December, they're going to hear oral arguments in Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health, which is the challenge to Roe and Casey. And it's reconsidering whether pre-viability bans are constitutional. Having oral arguments in December sets up a midnight decision late in June at the end of the court's term. That's when you can expect a decision overturning Roe. That's what I think is going to happen. I, I There seems to be no indication that that it's going to go a different way. Maybe if we rise up and the court feels like they are being their true political nature is being called into question and they're so worried about their legitimacy, perhaps they won't completely gut it. But they're going to, regardless, they're going to gut it enough so that it's virtually gutted, even if they don't completely gut it. The only way that we're going to get out of this is by expanding the court, killing the filibuster and expanding the court. That's it. We have to rebalance the court from all of these right-wing judges that have been installed through McConnell and the Federalist Society and Trump. There's just no other way around it. There is not another option. It has to be done now. Otherwise, they're going to just issue, they're going to they're going to strip away our constitutional rights and, and the protections uh, afforded and that make this country a decent place to live. Those are all going to be gone. They're going to remake the law. While we're sitting here twiddling our thumbs about term limits and pretending that they're going to be good people, they're not going to be good people. It's not going to happen. Congress, step it up. They can pass the Women's Health Protection Act. It's a bill that would establish a statutory right for healthcare professionals to provide abortion care and the right for the patients to receive the care free from bans and medically unnecessary restrictions that single out abortion care. Great. Do it. The Judicial Ads Act is going to require the identification of donors who fund advocacy campaigns aimed at confirming their favored nominees. Yes, that needs to happen. Currently, uh, anonymous money can be spent on judicial nominations. There's no disclosure requirements. And how do we as the public know who these wealthy donors are advocating for? They could have cases before the court and they're like put trying to, you know, spending millions of dollars to put in a judge who's then going to hear their case. Also, the Disclose Act, the For the People Act, the Freedom to Vote Act, these are going to ensure greater transparency by requiring that groups that spend money on ads disclose their donors. So all of those acts should be passed by Congress. This is vitally important. If they don't pass, we as citizens have very little that we can do to stop what's going on with all this dark money. So what can we do? I mean, we're 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 looking at our representatives to, you know, to be representing us. That's a scary place to be in. It feels awful, frankly, because you look at Manchin, you look at cinema who are holding up, you know, they won't kill the filibuster. They don't, they don't appear to be on the side of, of working Americans on the side of women. They don't appear to be on the side of us. You know, cinema's holding these, these private fundraisers, you know, for corporate interests and then voting against what the people need. It's very difficult to trust that our representatives are going to be able to get this done. So we have to make some noise. We have to use our voices as loudly and as frequently as we can. We have to talk to family, friends, state and local and national representatives. We have to use social media. We cannot go quietly. 
hit them in the pocketbook, boycott businesses that give money to politicians and entities that are working to undermine democracy. Pay attention. Divest from fossil fuel. You know, for example, if you see, if you look up what companies Coke owns, then you can decide if you want to give them your money. Voting restrictions, in my opinion, voting suppression, it's our biggest threat, and that needs to be our number one priority. It's probably going to be old news by the time this episode drops, but I, you know, and, and, and you know, we will be marching on October 2nd for reproductive rights. And I wish you all the strength and the stamina to join in the fight of autocracy. We need every one of you. Thanks. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to source material referenced in this episode. Because unlike corrupt judges and politicians, we do our research. Listen, subscribe, tell a friend, and be sure to judge us by rating and reviewing. Post-production by Joe Thompson and theme music by Avery Munger.